Let's pray. God, I thank you that you put love into action when you sent Jesus into the world to die and to rise again that we might be forgiven. And I pray that that truth would transform us this morning, that we might walk out of here differently than the way we walked in today. And so grab a hold of our hearts today, Jesus, and open up our eyes that we would see you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we embarked on this sermon series last week that love is a verb too. And we gathered as a staff several months ago and and talked about this time leading into Easter that traditionally the church has called Lent to prepare ourselves to remember why Jesus had to die and why he had to rise again so that we're ready to celebrate Easter when Easter comes. And we we kept going around this word, a love, and this idea that God so loved the world, and we thought, wow, if we could just help people to get um, their mind around God's love and how that transforms us and how we live out our lives, this would be wonderful. And Pastor Jet did a wonderful job of taking all of our random ideas, putting them together in a sermon series that sort of flows from week to week. And I absolutely love this series, and it's challenging for me, and I hope it'll be challenging for you today because the hope is, is if we do this well, if we live like love is a verb, too, if we're acting out what God has demonstrated to us and the way God lives out his life toward us, it changes the world. That those people who are living in darkness get a chance to see Jesus just by the way followers of Jesus live out their lives. Now, one of the little things I love to do is just dabble in archaeology. I love, as no pun intended, they dig up old stuff from centuries before and we can learn something about the past and bring it to the present. And I discovered recently these things that are called the curse tablets. Has anybody heard of these? Man, it's unbelievable. These curse tablets, and they're making the rounds around museums, so you can see them every once in a while. And these curse tablets, they found, and some are upwards over 2,000 years old, predate the life of Jesus, where they would go in these temples, and often they were Greek temples, sometimes Roman temples, and they would go and they'd write down curses. And you could curse somebody and leave that curse at the temple on this tablet and then just sort of trust that that God is going to take care of that person for you. And I thought, wow, what an interesting little model. Maybe we should take out the connection cards and put in curse cards um, right there in front of you and find out who's got grudges against whom. And, and you can just sort of leave them right here. I bet we'd run out of those kind of cards in a hurry. And I won't share with you all of them. You can look them up online if you want to. But I, one just caught my attention. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. The guy evidently lost a pair of his gloves. I didn't even know they had gloves back then. Evidently they did. And he lost his gloves. And so the curse is whoever took my gloves loves, let them lose their eyesight and lose their mind. I thought, wow, isn't that just a little over the top for a pair of gloves? Like, just go and buy another pair of gloves. Like, I'm not sure those two equal each other. There's all kinds of examples like this, and this was the world back then, and I think, wow, that's not so unlike the world we live in today. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And so it's in this world where Jesus spoke these words that Steve read just a moment ago where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. Now what was said was not in scripture. What was said was what everybody was talking about in the community. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
This is the culture in which they lived. Of course we've heard that. Everybody does that. You can go down to different temples, Jesus, and write down a curse tablet. And, and you can put it down there, and the gods will take care of whoever it is that you want to curse. This is the world that we live in. But, Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, that's different. Well, we don't live in that kind of world, Jesus. We curse our enemies. We don't pray for our enemies. We don't love our enemies. We don't forgive our enemies. We hold grudges. That's what we do in our, I know. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And just because of the stark contrast, I think this is one of the most famous teachings of Jesus and also one of the most violated teachings of Jesus. But if we could just get this right, could you imagine what that would look like for the world? If followers of Jesus were just serious about loving their enemies and praying for those who persecute you, how that would change the culture and the environment in which we live. And this is the beautiful thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Jesus commands us to do. We, we have to do. We have to live like Jesus lived, and we have to love our enemies. And this is what he calls us to do, forgive them. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just say one, I'm so thankful you're here today or you're watching online, whatever you're doing to engage in this. But if you're not a follower, this is just a better way to live because I think there are far too many people who are consumed with hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and it's eating them up from the inside out. And, and maybe that's you this morning and you're like, I've got to find a better way. Jesus has a better way to go through life. See, Jesus calls us not just to forgive. We are to forgive and also then to demonstrate forgiveness. So it's not just enough to say, well, I forgive them in my heart. It's, uh, frankly, it's easy to say those words. It's a lot harder to demonstrate those words of forgiveness. But yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because I probably thought some of these same things as I was putting this message together, and I thought, well, what's the resistance to demonstrating forgiveness? And I thought, well, one, they don't deserve it. <laughs> I mean, we've all said that at one point or another. They don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve to be let off the hook. They don't deserve it. And I would say, if I heard your story and the person that you are holding unforgiveness from, I would probably say, you're right. They don't deserve it. But I, I know this uh, about me, having walked with Jesus for a number of years now, that I don't deserve it either. I don't deserve God's forgiveness and love. I don't deserve it. So we can cross that one off the list. The next one you might come across is, well, they need to be punished. If I just forgive them, then they sort of get off scot-free and they don't learn from their past mistakes and they don't learn from their behaviors. They, they need to be punished. And as I was thinking about that, I recalled a time I was at St. Louis, Missouri at the seminary and I was working at Little Caesars and was sort of making money going through grad school. And, and I was there and it was right before dinner rush started and there's only a couple of us in the store and I went up and a young couple came in and they wanted a couple slices of pizza. And I said, oh wow, we don't have slices available outside of lunchtime. Um, they're not ready, but it, I can have one in like new, brand new one hot out of the oven in 10 minutes for you. Let me quickly put that in the oven. As I go and put that in the oven, I, I can hear her like she's really upset about something 
thing. And, and so I come back up. I'm like, I tell you what, it's in the oven. It's going to be out in just a couple minutes. If you want to pay now, then you can do, if you're in a hurry, you know, we can take care of that now and, and do that. You want something to drink, get you some drink. And so I turn around and I'm getting their drinks. And I hear words that I can't repeat here in church um, coming out of her mouth directed toward me. And I'm thinking, man, what did I do? Like I just told her, it was honest, like it's going to be 10 minutes if you want a slice of pizza. And I'm filling up their drinks. And so she's continuing to this tirade toward me. And I remember turning around. I'm like, excuse me. And she goes, you heard me. And went off to another tirade of stuff. I'm like, wow. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, okay, what do you do in this moment? Because you want to lash out, right? But I'm like, okay, I, I want to be a better person. I'm at the seminary studying to be a pastor. There's probably a verse for this somewhere. And the only verse that came to me was in Romans chapter 12. And Romans 12 is a great chapter. You know, this whole idea of be transformed by the renewing of your mind and, and demonstrating God's love. It's throughout that whole chapter. And you get to the end of the chapter, and there's a great little section in there quoting the Old Testament. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. I'm like, okay, I'm doing, God, what you told me to do. But some of you know how the end of that verse goes. It says, and in doing so, you're gonna heap burning coals on their head. <laughs> and so I remember like, okay, I fed them, God, and here are their drinks. I've given them something to drink. Where are the burning coals coming down from heaven, just consuming them in this moment and I remember as they were walking out the door and I'm like I can't believe like what is going on in their life that has got them so upset and she walks out the door and a huff pushes the door and just about breaks it off the hinges and he turns around and he's like I'm sorry <laughs> evidently there's a lot going on in their mind and they, they need to be punished God says vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord. And so often we want to take vengeance and we don't leave room for God to do what he needs to do. And frankly, God's got a lot more at his disposal than, than we do. So they need to be punished. Yeah, they probably do, not just by you. All right, so what's another excuse? Well, another excuse, I just can't do it. And I, I can't. I don't have it in me. You're absolutely right. I don't have it in me either. I, I can't do it. But what I can do it's take the love that God has and the forgiveness that he has for me and he's poured into me. What I can do is just give that right back. God gave it to me. I'm just turning it right back around. <laughs> I can do that. And this is where there's a lot of wisdom in what God has to say in his word, what he's revealed to us. You've probably heard the phrase, if you've ever dated anybody before, you've heard the phrase, uh, don't be unequally yoked. And what he's talking about is, is don't like marry somebody who's not a follower uh, of Jesus. Don't put two people together that don't belong together. And you're like, well, that's, uh, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. God, I'm sure that was true back maybe in Bible times, but it's really not true today. Well, let me tell you the wisdom behind, or at least one piece of wisdom behind that phrase. If you're married to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, see, the problem is you can only love and you can only forgive to the extent in which you've experienced forgiveness. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your pool of love, and it's a lake that never ends. There's a never-ending supply of love, and there's a never-ending supply of grace and forgiveness in your life. So do you want to be connected with somebody who's only got a limit, limited supply of forgiveness and love, or do you want to be with somebody who just, you can go deeper. There's always deeper to go. That's where you want to connect with, and Jesus loves you enough to say, I care enough about you. 
This is why there's a great story of Jesus, and Luke records it in his gospel. This, this woman who comes to him, and, and she's downtrodden from society. It was like, wow, she's one of those women you don't want to hang around or be known to be hanging around. And she comes and takes this alabaster jar of perfume and breaks it and, and pours uh, all that over his feet. And some of the Pharisees are there with Jesus, and he's like, I can't believe it. Like, if, if he knew this woman who was touching her, he would want to have nothing to do with her. And Jesus goes on to tell an incredible little parable. He's talking to Jesus, or talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, if, if somebody has been forgiven a little and somebody's been forgiven a lot, who do you suppose loves them more? Well, I suppose the one that loves them more, Jesus. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then he says this as he turns to them and he says this in Luke chapter 7. Go ahead. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. Love is a verb, too. She put her love into action. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And this is why confession is such an important part of following Jesus. Because you've got to take some time to come back to Jesus and realize that I have fallen short. I've got brokenness in my own life. I've got envy. I've got hatred. I've got unforgiveness festering in me. And I need, I need to bring that to the surface. I need to confess that before God so I can be set free from what he wants me to experience. And this is why Jesus came into the world. This is why he died on a cross. This is why he rose again, that we might be set free and we might be forgiven. And so any follower of Jesus knows I haven't been forgiven a little. I've been forgiven a lot. Frankly, the older I get, I'm just accumulating more and more that God has already forgiven and already paid for. And so the older I get, the more grateful I become for Jesus. And that should be true of every single one of us. Well, if we're going to demonstrate the love that God has for us and demonstrate forgiveness toward our enemies, we got to go where our enemies are. And I know that's sort of counterintuitive because we don't live in that kind of culture. Depending on what generation you are, you're on Facebook. Well, I can just unfriend my enemies. That's what I do with my enemies. I don't follow them anymore. I just delete them. I don't have to worry about them. Or I block them. That's what I do. I don't even get, do anything with them. I don't hang out with them anymore. I don't have to talk to them. I don't have to take their phone calls. I don't have to do anything anymore. Well, the problem with that is if you're avoiding your enemies, how are you going to do what Jesus told you to do, which was to love your enemies? You can't love your enemies if you're never around your enemies. Now, there are toxic people, you know, we need to distance ourselves from in our lives. That's not saying that. But what God is saying is you need to demonstrate love because this is how I change the world. Is by you living the way Jesus lives and living in such a radically different way than the world lives that the world takes notice and the world, filled of darkness, all of a sudden starts having lights pop up all around. And people are like, that is not the way the world lives. Why, why would you do that to me? Why would you offer me? For, why would you be nice to me? Well, I, I have a God. And I rebelled against him. And he forgave me. And he's restored me. He calls me his very own. Man, that's why I can, he just poured this out on me. I'm just giving you back what's been given to me. This is the benefit of following Jesus. We have to go where our enemies are. Now, the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't just tell us to do something that he didn't do himself. 
And I tell you, I was reading uh, in preparation for, for Easter, just going through all the gospel, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reading through these. And I want to share with you a couple uh, of passages. You can read the whole thing for yourself in Mark chapter 4, 5, and 6. I'm just going to highlight a couple uh, of verses. Because Jesus would travel with his disciples. That's what he would do. And they were um, on a lake, and they were on the good side of the lake. And in chapter 4, verse 35, he says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now that's Bible speak for we're going to go to the other side of the tracks. This is the wrong side of town. And the disciples must be thinking, well, one, this is night. This is not a good place to hang out anytime. Certainly not at night. This is the, the area of the, what they called the Decapolis, the ten cities. This is where paganism ruled and all kinds of different uh, worships. This is where a lot of those cursed tablets were found. This is a place that no good Jew would ever want to find himself. I would not defile myself to ever be in that area. And Jesus is like, hey, let's go over there. <laughs> and you know what happens, right? They're going to go over there. Jesus said it. They're going to happen. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came up from the tombs to meet him. And you can read more about him in chapter 5. Suffice it to say, he's possessed by demons. He's not dressed. He's running around. He's living where dead people are living. Nobody can bind him. He's too strong. Nobody can contain him. And they just sort of leave him out there to himself. And he comes in contact with Jesus, and Jesus releases the demons from him. And this is the story, if you've heard this one before. They, well, don't, don't torture us, Jesus, and let us go into the pigs. And they go into the pigs, and then they jump off the cliff. That's where this story comes from. And the people then come to Jesus, and they see this man who has been crazy uh, most of his life, and you see him sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And you think, wow, hey, that was really cool, Jesus. We got some other stuff we'd love for you to do in our community. But what they say is, um, please, Jesus, leave this area. And so Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples, and he's getting ready to go. Um, the man who has been released from the demons comes to Jesus and he says, hey, let me come with you, Jesus, after all you've done for me. And Jesus says something different than he normally says in all his interactions and all his miracles. He says, no, stay here and go and tell everyone what God has done for you. And they get in a boat and they leave. Chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6, guess what happens? They cross back over. Weeks, months, whoever knows how long later. Verse 53, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and they anchored there, and as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Well, they didn't have profiles back then. Not, pictures weren't passed on. You know, they weren't looking at the internet and hearing all the stories about Jesus. Why did they recognize him? Well, they heard the story of this one man who used to be crazy and possessed, and they heard what God had done for him. And so what did they do? They ran throughout that whole region, and they carried the sick on the mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into the villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, and they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Wow. This is why you go to where your enemies are. And a whole region was transformed by one encounter with a man who was possessed. Jesus changed his life, and in turn, countless lives were transformed. This is what God wants. This is why love is a verb, too. 
It's demonstrated love. It's putting love into action. It's forgiving people, not because they deserve it, but because they don't deserve it. That we're sharing with them what God has first granted to us. Really what we're to do is we are to live and and to love differently. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we are to do. We're to live and to love differently than the world. See, we're not just to feel love. Oh, I, I, I love people. That's good. Don't just feel love. Do love. Put it into action. I, I, I've forgiven them in my heart. Don't just forgive them in your heart. Forgive them out loud. Speak those words over them. Be reconciled as much as that depends on you. We are to live and we are to love differently. This is why Jesus goes on to say in those words, after you've heard it, it was said, and I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Are not even pagans doing that? In other words, live differently, Jesus is calling out, and be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why? Because God so loved the world. And he wants to see the world transform. He wants to see the world change. He wants to see people come into a relationship with Jesus. This is why. Which is why Jesus spoke these words that John recorded. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you love one another. A number of years ago when I was living in California, uh, one of our members was a city councilman and he was... Um, dedicating a park to victims of violence. And he asked me if I would come and do an invocation and a prayer of dedication over that spot. And I said, I'd be happy to. And he said, man, you can talk about Jesus. You can read whatever scripture you want. Um, just free, free reign. We're gonna have people there. I'm sure a lot of people will be followers of Jesus. Wonderful, I'll be there. What time? And so we went to this park in Irvine, California. And I did my little spiel and prayed over this spot and that this would be a place for healing and people to come and experience, God, your, your healing and forgiveness in their hearts and their lives. And then um, this lady got up to speak. And, and this lady, um, I found out uh, through her story and then talking with her afterward privately, uh, she was uh, eight years old and a couple guys burst into her house and uh, killed her parents in front of her and she fled the house, got over to her neighbor's house and she was safe but uh, people were killed and they caught the men and uh, prosecuted them and, and so she went to live grandparents and just her whole life turned upside down and she said for years I was so angry and, and I just filled with hatred and it was just destroying me inside and somebody came alongside and, and, and began to just encourage me and pray with me and hear my story and hear my grief and introduce me to Jesus. And then somebody introduced me to this other lady who had a tragedy happen in her life. Somebody had taken her son and she goes, that story, when I, I saw that somebody could actually forgive somebody who killed their own son, that's like a switch went off. Like, I wanna move in that direction. And that sent my life on a different trajectory. I said, tell me more about that story. Well, her name is Mary. And, and so she gave me the story and I looked up her story and I, I wanted to share that story that inspired this story uh, with you this morning.
You and I met at Stillwater Prison. I wanted to know if you were in the same mindset of what I remember from court, where I wanted to go over and hurt you, but you were not that 16-year-old. You were a grown man. I shared with you about my son. And he became human to me, you know. When I met you, it was like, okay, this guy is real. And then when it was time to go, you broke down and started shedding tears. And the initial thing to do was just try to hold you up as best I can. Just hug you like I would my own mother, you know. After you left the room, I began to say, I just hugged the man that murdered my son. And I instantly knew that all that anger and the animosity, all the stuff I had in my heart for 12 years for you, I knew it was over, that I had totally forgiven you. As far as receiving forgiveness from you, sometimes I still don't know how to take it because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something that I'm learning from you. I won't say that I have learned yet because it's still a process that I'm going through. I treat you as I would treat my son, and our relationship is beyond belief. We live next door to one another. Yeah, so you can see what I'm doing. You know, firsthand. Mm -hmm. We actually bump into each other all the time, leaving in and out of the house. And you know, Our conversations, they come from, boy, how come you ain't called over here to check on me in a couple of days? <laughs> you ain't even asked me if I need my garbage to go out. Uh -huh. I find those things funny because it's a relationship with a mother for real. Well, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. You know, you're going to college. I'll have the opportunity to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married. Hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. Just to hear you say those things and to be in my life in the manner in which you are is my motivation. It motivates me to make sure that I stay on the right path. You still believe in me. And the fact that you can do it despite how much pain I cause you, it's amazing. I know it's not an easy thing, you know, to be able to share our story together. So I admire that you can do this. I love you, lady. I love you too, son. Love forgives. That's what love does. And it looks differently than the world does. And it should look differently because the way God forgives us is different than the world and what it has to offer. And I realize that some of you here today um, might be gripped with unforgiveness. And maybe there's already somebody that is coming to your mind that I, I need to forgive and I need to move in that process toward forgiveness and reconciliation that I might be set free. I'm tired of getting consumed with hate and anger and, and I want to be set free today. And if that's you, uh, boy, begin that journey today and we're going to have an opportunity in just a moment to pray for you. Um, but I'm also mindful that some of you who are here today 
Maybe the person you need to forgive is yourself. Maybe you've been carrying around uh, guilt and shame. And maybe today is the day that that goes away. God never intended you to live with a life full of guilt and shame. Jesus died that we might be set free, that we are forgiven. And you might be thinking, well, you don't know my story. And maybe I don't know your story. I don't need to know your story. I know the cross was enough. (laughs) Whatever you did, Jesus died, and his death was enough for you. The cross paid for it all. There's nothing you could do that the cross wasn't enough for. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus, and so be set free this morning. And so we want to do that. And this is the work that our God still wants to do. Our God who created the world is still recreating the world through his people. Jesus who came and died for the world is still coming to his people to be a light and to be that tree of life that we might have life. And the Holy Spirit is still looking around, looking for hearts. (laughs) And maybe he's looking for you this morning. 